0: This is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. And can you guess the city where pole fitness, i.e., pole dancing as a fitness trend, where it got started? Producer Aristotle, could you cue the Jeopardy guessing music, please? Thanks to Crimson Misty and A.M. Davies of Yes, a Stripper podcast, I now know the answer is Vancouver, Canada. Insert exploding head emoji. That was me (laughs) when I learned that. But apparently in the 1980s, Vancouver's laws around liquor licenses and whatnot made it a strip club friendly spot. Strippers also counted as, you know, employees doing, you know, work and these club owners in Vancouver were like, "Okay, things are really starting to pop off and we want to keep the quality of our dancers high. That's how strippers started being hired to teach other strippers the tricks of the pole trade, which would then give way to strippers teaching kind of lessons or tutorials on their own. Not to say dancers weren't teaching each other and honing their craft like this outside Vancouver. It's just where it became more of a full-blown business, which also circles us back to some of the themes from the pole dance part one. So, as with so many things in our whorephobic, capitalist, white supremacist society, like if you follow the pole dance money out of the strip club and into pole fitness, the folks who've staked the biggest claim in it and really done the most to divorce pole fit from sex work, I mean, this one's easier to guess. No Jeopardy music needed. It's white women. (laughs) Yet, if we look at pole fitness today, and especially like the moves, aesthetics, even the music that have become popularized over the past decade, like it comes straight from black dancers and black culture. All of that said, there are recreational pole dancers outside the sex worker community who are very much aware of that context and try to center it and take it seriously, If you haven't listened to The Pole Dance Part 1, our first guest, Dr. Carolina Are, is a good example of this. What started out as an empowering hobby for her introduced Are to sex workers and sex work activism. And as she shares in that episode, a big focus of hers has been around social media platforms censoring and shadow banning recreational pole dancers in the same way that sex workers are routinely censored, even deplatformed, and all of that due to a pair of laws called FOSTA-SESTA. Before FOSTA-SESTA made Instagram and TikTok much less hospitable to pole enthusiasts like R.A., It was already wreaking havoc, both online and off, for sex workers like our other guest in part one, Selena the Stripper. This episode, we're picking back up with my conversation with Selena, who is president of Strippers United, and getting a stripper's eye view of pole fitness, FOSTA-SESTA, sex work allyship recreational pole dancers overstepping at the club? Am I making this list too long? How about one more thing? FKA twigs. Whew. And more. Let's get to it. As you know, I found you through a piece you wrote last November for Trist titled Pole Fit Treatise. And I just want to read the poll quote that says, until we are all truly free, certain cultural practices should remain off limits to outsiders. Could you give listeners a sense of what your treatise outlines and why you wanted to lay it all out?
1: So this has been an ongoing conversation in my community, and one of my favorite people, Vixen Temple, had written this essentially an an ethical guide to doing pole fitness, and that involved Hiring strippers to be your instructors, paying homage to strippers as the originators of the craft, not divorcing yourself from its origins in sex work, doing what you can to support sex work labor movements and to advocate for sex worker rights, and just generally like being a good ally to the community. And these are like very good harm reduction takes to this particular problem. But then my other friend who is an illustrator for Tris Star, said that there was something that was missing from Vixen's article, which is that strippers are really tired of pole fit. And it's a mix. Okay. So like definitely strippers, there's different levels of engagement. The baby strippers really kind of entered the industry with pole fit already being this cultural force. Mm. And a lot of them took pole classes and felt like they needed to take pole classes in order to be a stripper. And they may have really benefited from being involved in that culture. And so they might have a kind of pragmatic, I guess, take on this. And then there are some of the older strippers or strippers who transitioned out of stripping into being pole fit instructors who they want to support their life. They wanted to transition out of the sex industry. And this is like a good way that they could utilize skills that they spent however long honing and a way to remain in contact with this culture that's like often very formative for people. Whenever you leave the industry, it can feel like you're losing a part of yourself, like you're losing a part of your identity. But then the flip of it is this like inherent tension that is going on between people who are enthusiasts, who enjoy pole fit for the self-expression that it can offer. A lot of people say that it is liberatory, that it encourages them to tap into their sexuality and sensuality and gives them new ways to appreciate their bodies. While the material conditions behind it are so violently unjust for the people who originated it, for the for the community who pioneered this practice. And so I took a critical perspective kind of looking at that tension. And I personally came to the conclusion that I don't think that there is a way to like participate in pole fit ethically right now, as it is, if you're not a sex worker. I make exceptions for sex workers and trans people who would not be allowed within the club or other people who are marginalized and unable to work in the club, who would if they could. But again, this is like very nuanced. I wanted to add a level of critical thought to this conversation that is often framed as just kind of like, it's cool and pretty and I'm having fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and what harm is it causing? And I wanted to talk about that harm. One
0: thing that you also highlight is how Pulfit certain aspects of that have also appropriated to an extent sex work discrimination, particularly like <laughs> post-FOSTA SESTA. Could you talk a little bit about, about that and the shadow ban of it all?
1: Yeah, so... FOSTA-SESTA. These are two bills, Fight Online Sex Trafficking and Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking. So these are two bills. I would say, ironically, they were targeting mostly Backpage, but also a bit of like Craigslist personals and other escorting sites or sites that like allowed for escorts to post ads and so there was essentially this concern that these platforms were like enabling sex trafficking but only kind of because at the same time a lot of these platforms backpage included were working in conjunction with law enforcement to kind of guide them toward catching the culprits of sex trafficking while you know Being able to post ads and being able to, like, enable escorting is a tricky thing for many people. It's also a lot easier to catch people whenever it's in the open, you know, whenever Mm. I have a page where, you know, you can find the people like this is where we congregate. But whenever you take that away, people scatter and you lose a lot of those correspondences that can help you track people who are very dangerous. And also what happened was a lot of the networks of sex workers that were creating things like bad date pages and other forms of kind of outing predators within the community to other sex workers so that, you know, we could know, okay, be careful with this guy. He's dangerous. A lot of those things were also erased with SESTA-FOSTA. So what it did was it closed this loophole that essentially was saying that online platforms were not responsible for the content that users created. So they cannot be like held legally liable for whatever outsiders were saying on their platforms, which is a good thing for free speech, you know? Like, I think people should be able to say what they want. And I think that there should be, you know, these platforms should not, you know, have to be censoring people or be highly moderating, like how people are able to engage in discourse or what they're allowed to say or to whom. But SESTA-FOSTA said, well, actually, you can be held liable for sex trafficking stuff and you can be held criminally liable and financially liable and all kinds of other legal liabilities. So to kind of get in the way of this whole issue of potential liability. Many online platforms just heavily clamp down on all discourse around sex and sexuality and just kind of like flag down any content that had any relationship to sex as a way to kind of cast a wide net and make sure that All sexual content was like somewhat combed through to avoid getting in trouble for sex trafficking. But there's also some weird stuff. So like on state levels, for example, in Alaska, if you are an escort, you can be criminally charged for trafficking yourself. Uh, I know it's <laughs> it's defies logic is one way to say it. So if we think about it on the level of how illogical it is on a state by state basis, and what constitutes trafficking, for example, in like the most you know ridiculous places like Alaska, you have like an understanding of how broadly these companies can be held liable for any sexual content and any content that could like possibly trip the wire at that even consensual escorts who are just trying to make a choice, make a business deal that they are comfortable doing with another consenting adult, okay? So this led to, you know, words that had to do with sex being flagged. This led to boobs and dunes of sand being flagged because it's hard for these algorithms to differentiate between two juicy mounds of sand and two (laughs) boobs. It led to a lot of unintended consequences so like talking about sexual assault also could be flagged sex educators could also be flagged anybody doing anything within the realm of sexuality sex toy makers for example they could also be flagged so all of this content got kind of lumped together and that included pole dance especially you know sensual or exotic pole which again is a term that i truly hate there's nothing exotic about pole it is a very domestic american construct and the word exotic is just it's pulled from some some historical racism stuff so anyway so the quote-unquote exotic flow or stripper flow stripper style flow that is also particularly flagged in the pole dance slash pole fit community. So pole dance kind of by proxy of what sex workers were dealing with, with our diminished communication lines, our diminished abilities to protect ourselves, fewer venues to like post ads online, which led to more people turning to street-based sex work again, which led to an increase in femicide directed toward sex workers. So pole dancers felt like a little bit of that, like a little sprinkle of what sex workers were feeling. And they were like, oh my God, I feel so oppressed right now. And so a lot of people started complaining. They started to say, I'm just pole dancing. There's nothing sexual about this. Mm. And it really kind of reinforced the group of people who were on that kind of bandwagon of pole dance is not sexual. Pole dance is just expression. Pole dance is just dancing. People really trying to divorce themselves and also trying to get around this like increasingly complex system created by Sesta Fosta. And so yeah, they they started to feel a little taste of what it's like. And to some degree, like social media sites responded and started to like lift a bit of like the crackdown around pole dance. But at the same time, we are mutually constitutive. It is really impossible to differentiate between a stripper on a pole and a pole fit person on a pole without like a lot of context behind it. And so, yeah, you know, just by engaging in an in, in an occupation that is informed by sex work led some pole fit people to feel the effects of stigma and societal crackdowns the way that sex workers do. Did
0: that taste of uh, privileged oppression in that sense forge any Deeper allyship?
1: To some degree. I think that there became a bit of awareness about this issue because I think a lot of pole dancers were just, like, really unaware. And I think a lot of them continue to be unaware, whether it be because they choose to be unaware or because they don't want to engage with, you know, discourse around sex work. But they were kind of forced to. And so I think it led a lot of people to not necessarily like take the side of sex workers, but to turn it more into just a gendered issue or like Mm. a sexuality issue that the government doesn't want us to express our sexuality freely or the government is policing female bodies. And so I think that that has been how the community has kind of framed it more than as like an issue of sex worker oppression, unfortunately.
0: Before we get back into my interview with Selena the Stripper, in their Pulpit treatise, they wrote, There are pole fit dancers who claim they're attempting to liberate the art form from its oppressive roots to create a matriarchy where there was dot 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 patriarchy? One of the pole fit dancers Selena's alluding to there is FKA Twigs. Twigs's pole origin story is pretty straightforward. She learned how to pole dance for her 2019 music video, Cellophane. In the video, she does a haunting, artsy pole dance in a pair of gorgeous glass-like pleasers. And the next year, Twiggs released a short film called We Are the Women. A title card at the beginning of it reads... In late 2019, FKA Twigs traveled to perform at Afropunk Festival in Atlanta. There, she joined forces with healer and spiritual leader, Queen Afua, to host a moon dance in celebration of the sacred woman. After the moon dance, Twigs led the women to Blue Flame, Atlanta landmark, and the city's first black strip club. Summoning the divine feminine, together they created an environment in which women danced for each other. And in this four-minute film, we see this montage from the moon dance held on the stripper stage at the Blue Flame. And then you get cross cuts of FKA Twigs pole dancing while performing cellophane earlier in the night at Afropunk, and then her at the Blue Flame taking to the pole. And it ends with her back in the dressing room doing her makeup alongside the club's actual dancers. And Why am I telling you all of this? Well, it's just some helpful context for when twigs comes up in this next bit of my conversation with Selena. I am curious what kind of responses your treatise got.
1: Um. Yeah. So I will talk first to the responses that vixens got. And it was kind of funny because I don't know what I was expecting, but I was expecting like people to be more enthusiastic about vixens because it took a very pragmatic approach. And honestly, like vixen and I really got into dialogue because of FKA twigs. And we were kind of wrapped up in that whole debacle as we started calling it. Whenever we called Twigs out online for appropriating pole dance without giving back to the community and for, um, I guess, some misguided ideas about a lack of matriarchal power within the strip club and how she framed some of her pole work and how she had this kind of like view that her work was liberating this environment in, in some way. And so we criticized that and At that time, I was writing kind of how Vixen was writing. I was on like a a harm mitigation place just trying to talk about how you can somewhat ethically do it and trying to like put in place a little bit of accountability to this practice that had become so widespread of just appropriating the aesthetics of sex work without engaging with the movement, without empowering sex workers in the process and just purely profiting off of like a visual representation with a hollow interaction with the thing. So anyway, so Vixen's article, while some people liked it, I found, I noticed that like a lot of strippers pushed back and were like, one of the things that they, that Vixen suggested was that, you know, pole performers should come to the club to start to understand like the culture of pole dancing and so that they could actually talk to strippers and actually ha- start to have like an in-person meaningful engagement with strippers. And a lot of strippers were like, actually you can stay the fuck away. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was like a lot of strippers were like, we don't want pull fit people in the club because there is a lot of toxic behavior that is really common with pull fit people who kind of t- treat a strip club visit as kind of like visiting the zoo, you know, like they mm-hmm. come and they, they want to like poke the fish tank and a lot of times like they come and they don't tip they spend the whole time doing like commentary like trying to label every pole move that strippers are doing they you know want to climb up on stage and try it themselves and often kind of get out of hand and cross boundaries And a lot of times those boundary crossing things engage in or include like inappropriate touching of strippers and can lead to like sexual assault, which happens more commonly than people want to talk about. And often by women, by femmes coming to the strip club and not understanding how to be, you know, engage in proper etiquette. and. A lot of the recent influx of fems has come from the pole fit movement. Of course, there's always been women coming into the club for various reasons, but, you know, just speaking to pole fit. And so then I wrote my article and it was a mix. I mean, definitely a lot of strippers were like, I'm so glad that you articulated this and you really like shifted the way that I thought about it. And you put into words like some complex anger and tension that I had. and and it made people think about like the ethics of this thing but then of course there were people who were like you can't tell me how to dance i'm just going to express myself and i'm like <laughs> like okay like you know do you so it was it was a mixed reception but i think it spurred a necessary conversation in the community and i think also with strippers and sex workers there can be almost like a hesitancy to feel entitled to the things that we've created or the Mm -hmm. cultural impact that we've had and how visible that is in popular culture especially. And a lot of people are afraid to like stake their claim on something like this, but also feel the desire to. And so I think that my article emboldened people to feel like they could say no, that they could have a boundary about something. And i think that that's a positive outcome
0: what kind of difference would it make if pole dancing were off limits to civilians non-sex workers and strippers
1: you know that's a really good question because Well, I'm very skeptical of the industry in general, and I can be pessimistic about the uh, part of the discourse with pole fit is like, well, you know, if people participated in it, then they might build empathy. There's always that possibility. (laughs) And trickle down empathy doesn't always work. But at the same time, like, I'm not deluded to think that people will stop doing pole fit for fun. Although I do think that it is a fitness craze, kind of like... Jazzercise, you know, maybe this one will stick around. Maybe like it will have a lasting cultural impact and be a practice that people really enjoy, especially with the potential of it becoming an Olympic event at some point. You know, there's this chance that this will grow to be something that is so far out of the control or purview of strippers that it may be, it may eventually become like fully divorced, at least in the minds of like a lot of people practicing it. I worry a little bit that there is some something that is working as far as like how it is like enabling this discourse, you know? It is kind of like forcing femme people to have this like engagement of like, even if it is like unequal level of shared oppression, you know, it is still like a bit of shared oppression. And there can be some uniting around that and i think that there are people who whether or not they care about sex workers they are out here advocating for women to be able to be sexual visibly however they want to be or femmes to be visibly sexual however they want to be and i think that that has some net good but it's complex i guess it's kind of hard for me to imagine it going away at this point (laughs) after railing against it for years now (laughs) (laughs)
0: Now, if you know anything about strippers' decades-long fight for basic workers' rights in the U.S., then you've probably heard of the Lusty Lady. In 1996, the Lusty Lady in San Francisco became the first U.S. strip club to successfully unionize. Dancers at the club performed on a stage as well as in peep show style booths. And in the early 90s, they started getting fed up with sketchy payments, no sick days and black and non-black dancers of color receiving fewer shifts, less stage time and even being fired at random more often than their white co-workers. And I should say like that is not a historical problem left in the past that is still very much an ongoing issue in strip clubs when the lusty lady dancers first approached management with their demands they were told that quote taking off clothes in a peep show is not real labor so much as an enjoyable part-time job end quote It took two years and organizing help from the Exotic Dancers Alliance and Bay Area Sex Worker Advocacy Network to prove that, yeah, motherfuckers, it is real labor. And that is how they formally unionized within the Service Employees International Union. The following year, in 1997, the union successfully negotiated a contract with Lusty Lady Management, granting dancers a pay raise, sick leave allowance, and no more one-way windows or cameras in those peep show booths. The one concession in there that directly benefited dancers of color was that they could now swap shifts with any other dancer, whereas before they were only allowed to swap with dancers who physically resembled them. And since the club hired mostly white women, that left dancers of color with far fewer options if they couldn't make a shift. I highly recommend Siobhan Brooks's book, Unequal Desires, Race and Erotic Capital in the Stripping Industry, if you want to go deeper. Brooks was actually a dancer at the Lusty Lady during this era of organizing and even filed a racial discrimination complaint with management who, shocker, gave less than zero fucks. They write in the book that unionization was a big win for the sex workers movement, and yet some unfinished business remains in the role of race and stratification in U.S.-based sex work, especially in exotic dancing. And I just have to say for the record, exotic dancing, not the best term. Brooks highlights how this racial stratification plays out in terms of dancers of color tending to work in strip clubs in rougher neighborhoods, in clubs that are more often targeted by police raids. Clubs often charge them higher stage fees in order to work. Like, in an already very broken system, the folks who bear the brunt of this are ultimately Black and non-Black dancers of color. Full stop. When the Let's See Lady closed for good in 2013, that took the number of unionized strip clubs in the U.S. back to zero. But it's not for lack of trying, y'all. For just one example, dancers at North Hollywood's Star Garden Topless Dive Bar have been going toe-to-toe with club management since 2021, documenting allegations of workplace sexual assault, non-consensual filming by customers, and verbal harassment from club staff. They are now on the verge of unionization through actors' equity. And Selena will share more about the organizing happening right now in NoHo later in the episode. All of the pole fit discourse, pole dance discourse, does it feel like it has also taken any attention away from the labor organizing and workplace struggle within strip clubs along the lines of strippers united that's happening
1: i think especially like the whole pole competition economy is kind of it really does divert away the attention from how literally like life or death these issues are for sex workers for strippers just the amount of like violence that i've experienced and the strippers around me have experienced it's it can be wild that that's like not part of the discourse or that it can be like very lost within just the the fun and pageantry of competitive pole dance. I think there can be space to talk about these things, but I think right now unfortunately there's there is like a real separation line. But I will say that I've seen some progress since I started talking about this it really kind of started off in this place where people were really resistant to these criticisms of the pull fit industry, especially people who were like really invested in just dancing for for the sake of dancing. But now it's shifted. And I guess like there's also this other level of irony, which is that um the pole fit movement was like really popularized by strippers. Like I want to shout out to like my friends, A.M. Davies and and Nat's Honey, who really put on some of the first pole competitions ever, and they're just these strippers. And so this really started off as just like a celebration of this dance form that strippers made by strippers for us. To feel a little bit of celebration of our talents and of something that was so deeply stigmatized that our mothers cried over, our fathers also cried over, that we lost families over. It was like a place where, you know, you could celebrate this special talent among people who understood that it was a special talent. And then there was like the shift of kind of secularizing it, I guess, taking it away from the club. But now I've noticed that there's kind of a shifting back toward re-engaging with the sex work struggle and the the issues of strippers. And we have allies. I mean, so United Pole Artists, for example, was started by A.M. Davies, and it continues to be maintained by other people who are just pole enthusiasts. But those pole enthusiasts have shown up on the picket line at the Star Garden protest. They've, you know, shared the campaign with their followers and on this massive platform. And so I, I see some positive shifts and I see there, that there is like this new engagement. And I see that people are starting to think critically and wanting to do something ethical about it because people enjoy pole dance. It's fun. It's cool. You know, it takes a lot of strength and talent to be able to do it. And people don't want to be shitty. (laughs) I think a lot of pole dancers do not want to just be doing something shitty. A lot of pole dancers identify as feminists. A lot of pole dancers want to support sex work. They want to continue pole dancing and they want to figure out how they can have some healthy middle ground. So, you know, maybe we're, maybe we're getting there.
0: Is there anything that I haven't asked you about, or we haven't touched on that you want to make sure listeners know?
1: If you want to know what's going on with the, one of the most remarkable stripper protests since the Lusty Lady protest that happened and subsequent unionization and cooperativization of a strip club in the bay area back in the day you should follow stripper strike noho at stripper strike noho n-o-h-o on instagram for updates some really cool stuff is happening the group of strippers are hoping provided so the, the club that they picketed for it was from march until november um, I'm not going to do math because I I my brain isn't doing that right now, but they were protesting nonstop for months. We were we were out there, we were raising hell. So after all of that, the strip club owners filed for one kind of bankruptcy, and that is to avoid having to classify all of the dancers who voted successfully to unionize as a union. So there is a chance that they might be able to purchase this strip club that they have picketed out in front of for months. Right now, that is something that is in the works. They are trying to do this in cooperation with LA Co-op Lab, which is like this kind of startup tank in LA that funds co-ops with like low interest, kind of like loans and grants and stuff like that. So they are getting together to try to purchase this strip club. And if you want to participate and help out, you can donate to the cause. You can find out about it. If you're a stripper and you want to be part of a stripper-owned strip club, pay attention because Star Garden in LA might be that, you know, stripper-owned strip club that you might be able to work at. I mean, it's pretty freaking incredible. So check that out. If you want to follow Strippers United, which is kind of the 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 mama organization that kind of really did a lot to spark the labor movement for stripper rights you can follow us on instagram at strippers unite and you can check us out online at strippersunited.org if you want to find me on instagram you can follow me at pretty boy girl and you can subscribe to my patreon at the real pretty boy girl if you want to give me that direct money
0: and ladies go give them that direct money do it Support a stripper. Support sex workers. Thank you so much to Selena the stripper for guesting on this episode, as well as the pole dance part one. Thank you also to our part one guest, Dr. Carolina Are, who you can follow on Instagram and TikTok at bloggeronpole. I have links to a number of Sex worker and stripper organizations on the source post for this episode that you can find at unladylike.co episodes. Unladies, I would love to hear what y'all think about this. You can email me at hello at unladylike.co if you wanna give me a piece of your mind, positive or negative. You can also DM me on Instagram at unladylike media. You can also follow unladylike on Twitter and TikTok at unladylike media. And if you want to give me some direct money, give unladylike some direct money. Uh, I, w- I would most certainly appreciate it. And you can do that for five dollars a month or more over at patreon.com/unladylike media. Do you already know about the bonus episodes? Did you know that there are nearly 150 of them just waiting for you? And all for the price of an underwhelming starbuck. Patreon.com slash unladylike media is where you can go support and subscribe. Again, you get an extra bonus episode ad-free every single week, full-length interviews with some of our featured guests, and truly my undying gratitude. Unladylike is a Starburns audio production, created, executive, produced, written, and hosted by me, Kristen Conger. Aristotle Acevedo is our senior producer. Catherine Caligori is our associate producer. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson.
1: Until next week.
0: What is the most unladylike thing about
1: you? Well, I guess like not identifying as a woman. (laughs) I think that that would be pretty, pretty much the thing. You know, it's it's so funny. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's funny, you know, like I, I give off queer vibes. And it's really funny because my strip club customers pick up on those queer vibes. And they start questioning themselves, and it leads to a whole little sexuality and gender journey for them that I just enjoy watching. So yeah a podcast network.